Welcome. So glad to have you guys here with us. Uh, I'm Pastor Daniel, and I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys this evening. And so I would like to start by saying Merry Almost Christmas. Um, we are almost there. In fact, today I actually entitled my message, Why Christmas? Because I have made a discovery in life. It is altogether too easy in life to get on autopilot. I don't know if you've ever started doing something and then forgot what you were doing or why you were doing it. Maybe like you walk over there to the fridge and you open the fridge and you go, why am I standing here? You close the fridge, you go back to the table and you're like, ketchup, that was it. And you ketchup. Like there's this thing where sometimes we get caught doing something and we just forget why we're doing it. And it can be silly things like, why did I come into this room? What did I come into the kitchen for? Um, Those are silly, but it can be more important things where you're like, you know what, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to play a game with my kids so that we can make memories. And you get frustrated during the game and you're debating whether those are the memories you wanted to make because you forgot why you were there and you got caught up in the game instead of the reason that you were playing the game. Or maybe that's just me because I have little kids. But that's, that's part of like this thing where sometimes we can set out on this mission going, hey, I'm going to do this because I want to have a relationship with somebody. I'm going to meet with them. And then you get into a fight over something that doesn't even matter because you forgot that the reason that you were there wasn't to express how you're right, but to express how you love them. And, and I begin to look and go, okay, so, so I feel like I can do this in the kitchen. I feel like I can do this with a game that I can get so caught and so much on autopilot that I forget and lose the purpose. But we can do that with God. Uh, in fact, there's a story in the Bible where it, it shows us two girls who had a mission, but one of them forgot what, why they had a mission. See, Mary and Martha in, in, John, in Luke chapter 10 Verse 38, they're getting ready for Jesus to show up. Now, I don't know what would happen at your house if I was to give you a warning. Hey, tomorrow noon, Jesus is coming over for lunch. I don't know like, what, the, what that would be. Some of you guys would be like, sweet, we are ordering takeout. And others are like, all right, bring it on. And like, at my house, if I was to tell my wife, hey, Jesus is going to show up tomorrow at noon, everybody would be doing their chores. She'd be saying, all right, your Tuesday list, it's Monday this, t- this week. Like, get it done. You got to clean this, clean that, mop this, get these dishes done. And then she'd be working hard trying to fix something awesome for Jesus or sending me out to pick it up, something awesome for Jesus before he showed up, one of the two. But they got so busy and so caught up that Jesus shows up and Mary sits down and is like, it's Jesus. This is amazing. And Martha's like, yes, Jesus, I am trying to cook everything. And, and then she comes out to complain to Jesus because Mary is hanging out with Jesus. And Martha was so busy getting ready for Jesus that she was ignoring Jesus and was mad that Mary wasn't ignoring Jesus with her. But the whole point was to be with Jesus. And I got pondering how easy it can be to get on autopilot to get caught doing things and to forget why we're doing those things. And I think that Christmas is is busy. Like, there's a lot that happens, and you're like, 
even if you're like, this is the time that I'm burning up my vacation I was about to lose and you take some time off, it still gets busy. And all of a sudden there's so many things and sometimes we forget, why am I doing all of these things? And we're just like, I survived it another year. And, and, it, and it can be good. But I, I wanted to look and go, well, why Christmas? Why do we celebrate Christmas? And then some weird things about Christmas I wanted to, to look at. Um, why the prophecies? Why the manger? Why the shepherds? And then there's, there's more of them than what I can get into tonight. So this week, for some of the seven at sevens, we'll go through um, a few more whys around Christmas. And if you're like, what's seven at seven? Um, we broadcast uh, at 7 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and on the website. And if you're still sleeping at 7 a.m., you can get them later on Facebook or YouTube. But those are, those are nice and brief. But as I looked at this, I said, well, why do we celebrate Christmas? And some of you guys are like, I know this. I was in Sunday school. The proper answer for a question in church is Jesus, but, which, which is good, but, but there's more. So I, I want to start looking at in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26. This is actually, they were setting up the Passover, and, and God is instituting a holiday, and he tells them to do a bunch of weird things. And, and then he goes, now, this is so that when your kids look at you and go, why are we doing this? That you can tell them. And he sets this up and he goes, we are going to celebrate festivals. We are going to celebrate these things as a reminder. It is an intentional time to make you stop on a reoccurring basis and to reevaluate and to remember something. And this is the purpose of a holiday. This is the purpose of Christmas. In fact, I was listening to Rick Renner this week, and he was sharing how when he moved to Russia, because he's a missionary in Russia, Chris, like years ago, Christmas in Russia was illegal. And they came out of it because when communism took over in there, they were like, this is a reminder about Jesus, and we don't want you to focus on Jesus. You need to live for the state. So we're going to make Christmas illegal. For, so for there was years where they were, Christmas was illegal, and then when they worked to replace Christmas. So anything that had to do with Christmas, they would come up with an alternate to put in its place, lest something actually remind you of Jesus. And so they went through, and instead of having a Christmas tree, they had New Year's trees. Instead of um, even... Afraid that, like we use, I think, Santa Claus here to distract everyone from Christmas. There they were worried that Santa Claus himself might remind people of St. Nicholas who was celebrating Christmas. So they replaced him with Father Frost. And he went through all this weird stuff that they did trying to hide it, trying to remove any reminder. And so I looked and I'm like, okay, this is supposed to be a reminder but why Christmas? Why Christmas in the first place? And most of us in the United States are familiar with the Christmas story, at least somewhat. And if you're like, I, this is my first time in church, I'm here because my sister, because she was dedicating her baby, um, you've probably gone by a nativity scene and you're like, I'm familiar with the fact that there was a girl, a boy, a baby, and a manger. It's kind of weird. Why is it a manger? Well, what is a manger? There's this weird stable looking thing that they had in their yard. But, 
But this story is probably best summed up. If I was to sum it up in one verse, I would sum it up with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's this story of God coming down, telling a young girl that she was going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And, and there is miracle after miracle. And if you've never heard the story, Matthew chapter 1 and 2, Luke chapter 2, you can read through the story in great detail. But I'm going to shed some light on a few things tonight. But one of the things is where it started. Because when we hear the story, it can be random and we can get lost in the moment. But the moment started thousands of years before the moment happened. See, because Christmas is the promise coming to pass. The promise started in Genesis chapter 3. See, in Genesis, we find things were perfect. God made the heavens and he made the earth. He made man and woman and he walked with them in the garden. And how long he walked with them, I don't know. It was long enough that they recognized the sound and the time of day that God would walk with them. But he gave them a rule. He's like, I want to be friends with you. I want to hang out. I got one rule. The, this planet is yours. Rule it, reign, uh, multiply, fill the earth. Just don't eat from this one tree. You know what they did? They ate from the one tree. And sin enters the world. Sin, death, destruction, and all of these different things come with it. And then God shows up, and after they sin, they're like, they hear the sound, and they check the time, and they're like, they, they, they make reference. It's the cool of the day. We hear the sound. It's God. And they went and hid. From the moment that sin came in, came broken relationships and separation. And when, when God... God, who already knew where they was, goes, where are you? Hiding. I don't know. Adam probably didn't sound like a little kid, but just, his response so to me sounded like a little kid. Like, it's just, like, why, why do you answer with hiding? It's like my kids, when I try to hide and go seek with them when they're really little, and you, you walk in and you're announcing to them so they don't get bored, where is, and you say the kid's name that you're looking for, and all of a sudden you hear a little voice from under the bed, I'm over here. You're like, it's kind of the point of the game. But anyways, distraction. So back, back to Adam and Eve. When, when God um, began to deal with them, he made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that from the seed of the woman would come the one who would crush Satan under his foot, who would bruise Satan's head with his heel. And he makes this promise. And as I begin to look, you'll see this promise all throughout the Old Testament, where they begin to promise the Savior that is coming. And God goes, this is the answer to the sin that's entered the world. This is what you broke that I am going to fix. And this was his plan from the beginning. And this is so powerful that Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, says, uh, uh, goes through and says, before the, the world... Try again. Before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And it go, talks about him being slain from before the foundations of the earth. That God knew where things were going before it even started. And, and I look at this 
Because Christmas is the story of a God that loves us no matter what we've done. It's the story of a God who keeps his promises. It's the story of the God who would not give up on us. Because he goes through this and he, and he makes this promise from the very beginning, knowing all of our sins and all of our failures. Romans chapter five, verse eight says that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes, I am setting this in motion because I love you and no matter what you've done, I will pursue you. I love you. We are, we are justified. And this is something that's hard for us to understand. We have a very... What's the right word for it? Accomplishment-driven culture. And so we, we think, you know what? They'll love me if I achieve. And God goes, I love you because I made you to love you. And I want a relationship with you. And sometimes we can look and we go, well, yeah, yeah, you do. And other times we can look and go, no, no, no. Why, why would you want a relationship with me? That's because someone doesn't know the real me. They don't know where I've been. They don't know what I've done. They don't know where I've struggled. And God goes, I do. And I still choose you. And I looked in Luke chapter 22. Jesus is dealing with Peter. And he talks to Peter. And he's like, you are about to mess up. And he doesn't say it like, you, you loser, you're going to mess up. No, he goes, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no way. Man, if I have to die with you, I am there for you. And Jesus goes, no, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he's like, no, no, and he's, he's doing all this. But Jesus' response wasn't to, re to slap him. It wasn't to like kick him to the curb. His response was I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. He goes, I know that you're about to stuff things up. I'm still here for you. When you get back up, I have a plan for you. I'm not done with you. And we looked at this a little bit two weeks ago as we just looked at the heart of the Father. But it's so important when you understand Christmas to understand it's the story of a God that loves you, that's pursuing you, that refuses to give up on you. And that he is after you. And, and we've heard things. Um, I don't know if you ever heard Jesus is the reason for the season. Anyone ever heard that? If not, you now have, okay? But in reality, Christmas was for Easter. The reason for Christmas is Easter. And the purpose of Easter is you. Jesus didn't come down because dying sounded like fun. Jesus came down for a relationship. Jesus came down to restore the relationship that was broken and to deal with sin. And when we understand that, it shifts things because Christmas becomes the story of his pursuit of us. It becomes this, this hero. And we, we watch if you watch any movies, um, if you can still find a movie worth watching, um, I guess there's this, this whole like genre of chick flicks. I don't even understand that. But if you get into um, 
an a- any kind of an action movie, you're going to find the story of, of a hero who is willing to endanger themselves to save someone. This is the plot of almost all of them. Unless it's really, really new, in which case it's just all about revenge and everyone shooting each other. But that's a different thing. But this story is so deeply ingrained of us, of this one who is great and strong, who will lay down and sacrifice everything in pursuit of someone to save someone. This story is told over and over because it's a story that's written on your heart because it's the story of God who would not give up on us, who pursues us endlessly. This is the story of Christmas. This is the why of Christmas. But sometimes we can hear it and not get it. I am just amazed. As I look at my Bible, there's so many amazing like principles that are there. And then there's things you look at the story and you just go, what? Okay, so one of those things that just blows my mind, when you read through the Gospels, there's all these conversations that the disciples recorded of Jesus talking to the disciples and telling them, this is what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I am going to be taken. They are going to kill me. In three days after that, I am going to rise from the dead. And they're like, what? Right over their heads. The Pharisees who didn't like Jesus, who led him to be crucified, paid more attention to these comments of Jesus than his disciples. When he dies, the disciples are like, man, I totally thought he was the one. The Pharisees are like, he said he was going to come back. Can we put a guard on the tomb? But they heard it and they didn't get it. And sometimes we hear this, but we just don't take it in. We don't realize how much God is pursuing us. And he didn't want us to miss it. There is so many prophecies and, and I've got an entire message just on his prophecies because there's just, so many. But if you read just Matthew chapter 1 and 2, I listed 10 of them from there. And if you've never read it, I'm going to warn you that the first 17 verses are probably going to be a little bit rough for you. Here's the first 17 verses. Somebody had a baby who had a baby who had a baby who had a baby. And if you're not familiar with the prophecies, that's all you get. But if you know the prophecies, there was a prophecy that said, hey, I am going to send one of your descendants to be the savior. And not only will it be one of your descendants, it's going to be one of Abraham's descendants and then one of David's descendants and it's going to be of this tribe. And it lays it out. And when you look at this, it's promise after promise after promise after promise that he's fulfilling. And there's 10 of them just listed in Matthews 1 and 2. So I, I begin to look and go, okay, so, so Christmas wasn't an accident. Christmas was on purpose. Christmas is Jesus pursuing us endlessly out of love to fix what we broke. But why would he come in a manger? And we, we use that term and we hear the song away in a manger and it almost gets like, we picture a manger with pretty spotlights, nice and clean, that doesn't have any animals and where the straw is all nice, that is not what the manger looked like. The manger, a.k.a. stable or cave where they kept animals. And I, I begin to look at this and go, why would you come in a manger? Because if I was going to come as the savior of the world, I would not have come in a manger. 
You're like, would I come in the king's palace? That would normally be the first plan, except for when King Herod was the, the king and he killed anybody who he thought might be a threat to his throne. Maybe that wouldn't be the spot to be born. But at least let, like, let's go with a rich guy. Can I be born in like a rich leadership spot? Wouldn't that like set him up more? And that's kind of, I think, what the Pharisees would have expected because they were expecting someone to set up for a massive political um, win. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, There's a verse that talks about Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verse 29. When he comes on the scene, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. This is what he says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Where do you expect the Lamb to be born? Do you expect the Lamb to be born inside the king's palace? Do you expect the Lamb to be born inside of the rich man's home? In the barn. In the filthy, nasty barn. Jesus came as the lamb. He is the king who came as the lamb. And I I, I begin looking at this. In Luke 2, 7, it goes through and says that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that verse is just so... I know I've heard it so many times as a little kid, it got like, I just ran over it on autopilot, not thinking about what this was. I was listening to Rick this week, Rick Renner, and he he made a comment about these swaddling clothes. And he goes, these are the strips of cloth. It was an agricultural term that they would use to wrap a baby lamb. So he was wrapped in things that they would wrap the legs of a baby lamb. And so I I did some further research and, and they went through and they said, uh, one of the spots I read, it said the newborn lambs would be wrapped tightly and swaddled, specially designated temple cloths that would be laid in a manger to keep them con- contained while they were being examined for blemishes. And this is what Jesus was wrapped in. And he was born in Bethlehem, which fulfilled the prophecy, but also the, she- the sheep there the, the female lambs were used in the temple for peace offerings. However, the most common use for these lambs was in, born in Bethlehem is that they were destined to become Passover lambs. And if you grew up in church, you're like, what? If you didn't grow up in church, you're like, what's the Passover? Um, so a quick rewind all the way back into Exodus. The children of Israel were slaves. They were in bondage and they prayed for a deliverer. They prayed for deliverance and God sent Moses to deliver them out of slavery. And Moses comes before Pharaoh who who runs the land and he goes, let God's people go. And Pharaoh goes, who's God and why should I obey him? And he decides to have a contest against God because he doesn't think he should know who he is or that he should obey him. And so this results in him fighting God and 10 different plagues that like, 
devastate the nation. Before the last plague, as Pharaoh is fighting against God, God is sending um, just opposition to him. But judgment is going to come. And there is going to be death. And Moses tells the people, he goes, death is going to come over the land. If you don't want to have death in your house, if you don't want to lose the firstborn in your house, go kill a lamb. Take the lamb and put its blood on the doorpost of your house. And when death comes over, it will pass over, it will see the blood and it will pass over. And the blood of the lamb caused judgment to pass over them and leave them unharmed. And they, they continued to celebrate this, to remember how God had spared them and how God had protected them and how they had been passed over. That is where the Passover lambs should be born. And I, and I looked and realized that Jesus came to be our Passover lamb. He came so that judgment could pass over. He came to take our place. And then I begin to, as you move on through the story, you get to the, the announcement to the shepherds. So Jesus is born in a stable, which is exciting and backwards, but we, we learned it had purpose. And then God sent angels that show up to shepherds out in the field. And for the longest time, I just thought that God was so excited he just had to tell somebody. That the party in heaven was too big and it bled over into the field. And there may be some truth to that into God's excitement. But I discovered something. These shepherds were important. These were the shepherds who were supposed to watch over the flock of the Passover lambs. These were the shepherds who were supposed to inspect the sheep to find a spotless, blameless sheep to be sacrificed. And that's who God sends the angels to and says, hey, the Savior has been born. Good news to all. They're the first ones that the Bible records to run to see Jesus. Who? The shepherds to inspect the lamb for sacrifice. The sacrifice for you and the sacrifice for me. Because when we look at Christmas, the reason for Christmas is Easter. And the purpose of Easter was you and me. It was restored relationship. It was to set us free from sin and death so that we could have a relationship with him. As I look at the story, I'm amazed at this gift that God would give for us. And it blows me away. But there's this thing about a gift does anyone have a gift in their house, a Christmas gifts? Anyone do Christmas gifts? If you don't, they're fun. Um, but here, here's this thing. If I give you a Christmas gift, 
I, I buy it, I wrap it, and I give it to you. Most of you will take it home and go put it underneath the tree unless I tell you to open it in front of me. But if Christmas comes and you leave it there and the tree dies or it's plastic so you put it away, does that gift benefit you? As long as you leave that gift unreceived, unopened, it could be the most amazing gift in the world or it could be a gay gift you will never know, right? Do you realize that God gave the greatest gift that had ever been given, but so many people have left it under the tree? That that we go through this and we celebrate this every year to remember that he still loves us and that he's pursuing us, that he wants a relationship with us, that he paid to tear down these walls, that he paid the price for my sin, but so often people go, Yeah, no, thank you. Maybe when I'm older. Maybe later. And leave it. And I have news. That now is the time. Don't wait. Open up the gift that God gave you. If you don't have a relationship with him, then you need one. And as we look at this, I want, I want to pose two challenges tonight as, as I get ready to close. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. You need to receive that gift because he loves you. Number two, if you know Jesus, and I say this and you may go, you know what? I know all this. I know this immense, great love that God has for me. You aren't the only one he loves. So, in this next week, you're probably going to get together with somebody that might like to rub you the wrong way. And I want to remind you this. Jesus came for them too. Can you be his hands and feet? Can you remember why you're at the table playing the game and not let frustration over the game ruin the reason you're at the game? Can you show his love to your family, friends, neighbor, coworker, whoever it may be that God's pursuing. That's my challenge for those who already know him. But for those who don't, I wanna give you an opportunity to make him the Lord of your life right now. Can you go ahead and grab the hands of the person next to you if you're comfortable with that? And if you're here, you can bow your heads at the same time here. If you're here and say, you know what, today I need to know his forgiveness. I need to receive that gift that God came to give me. I'm going to say three. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you just to squeeze that hand. One, two, three. Go ahead and squeeze it. Say, that's me. I want to know God's forgiveness. I want to know that I'm right with God and I'm way to heaven. I want to receive the gift that he came to pay for, to give to me. All right. If somebody squeezed your hand, if you squeeze somebody's hand, I'm going to count to three again. I'm going to ask you just to lift it up in the air. One, two, three. Just lift it up in the air. Awesome. Awesome. I see your hand and your hand and your hand and your hand. And yours. Awesome. 
We're going to say a simple prayer. You can put them down. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're going to call on his name. We're going to respond to the gift, to the invitation that he's given. So go ahead and say this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that you died and rose again, that your blood washes me clean. I choose to live for you from this day forward. I declare that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.